Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Marez is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Marez, we'll hear from the Abner family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, October 12th. You guys will hear this on Tuesday, October 13th, and we are still in the off-season, and we have a long way to go in that regard, so hopefully you guys aren't sick of that yet, because it's only just begun, and as you can tell, we are uh, back, at least for now, to our once-a-week schedule. As always, that's you know subject to change once free agency starts and the Cubs' activity picks up a little bit, or if Brendan and I just think of something to talk about, but uh, otherwise, we'll probably keep it to once a week just to not put out audio that stinks for you guys to listen to, because that's not really our goal here. So anyway... Uh, where to begin? The MLB playoffs still going on. We are in the final four as we record this, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Houston Astros, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Atlanta Braves battling for the 60-game coronavirus World Series trophy. So we will see how that all plays out. And there's not a lot going on in the world of the Chicago Cubs just yet, uh, as there really can't be in certain regards. But our plan for the next little while here is to use this time to set the table for the offseason in earnest. That way, when the World Series is over and contracts start getting settled and teams are tendering players and trades can start happening and free agency. We'll have everything ready to go. We'll know where the Cubs stand. We'll know maybe where the direction we want this team to head or uh, targets they should be looking at, things like that. We'll be ready to go when that happens. Uh, So not wasting any time here during this month of October and and kind of getting things ready for you guys. That's that's the plan. It's always subject to change. And uh, as always, if you guys have differing ideas as to how we should spend this time. We are open to them, but that's our plan for now. But before we jump into that, 
Brendan. I, I do want to take a moment, uh, as it is October 12th, mm. I would be remiss to not mention that this is the three-year anniversary of the Cubs knocking out the Washington Nationals in a great series in the 2017 NLDS and it has a lot of great moments. Of course, the Cubs uh, come back against Max Scherzer in Game 5. Wade Davis, the the iconic image of him clapping his hands with Wilson Contreras running out to the mound after he strikes out Bryce Harper to end that series and win that game in series. Uh, but that nobody, honestly, nobody really cares about that anymore, right? Like, you know, the Cubs have done bigger and better things. The last couple years have have not ended so well, so people don't really care much about 2017, uh, at least that I've noticed. But you know what we do care about, especially on this podcast, is the drunken interview that John Lester gave after that series. Yes. And I don't really have much more to add on that other than to say it's just absolutely the best. Uh, I tweeted it out on the Cubs Insider Twitter today, at Real Cubs Insider on Twitter, obviously. And it's 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 art, Brendan. I mean, really, I think that interview belongs in a museum. From him getting champagne poured down his back uh, and and yelling at whoever's doing it uh, that he hates them and it's very cold, uh, to the 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 deadpan at the end of the interview, I think is my, one of it, it's got to be off the field. My number one John Lester oh, moment no of doubt. all time. Uh, it would probably be even be in the top five if we were including on the field. It, it's just so incredible. He gets asked by the interviewer, uh, what, what about this winning clubhouse is special? Like, what's special about this winning clubhouse? You've been in a lot. What's special about this one? And John takes a deep breath, and there's a long pause, and he just looks up and says, <laughs> winning, with the biggest smirk, grin you've ever seen John Lester smirk yeah so incredible uh go watch it even if you you know if you don't have Twitter just google John Lester interview 2017 NLDS celebration or locker room something like that it'll come up uh but it's it's really great he 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 pats himself on the back for giving somebody in the locker room the finger but not doing it on camera so he wants he wants credit from the interviewer for you know not putting that on camera who do you think he was flipping off there if you had a guess i always just assume rizzo do you think if so? it's something like that yeah I if it's lesser i just yeah i always want to say uh arietta because there was a there's a video of arietta celebrating in 2015 and and john is in the background saying i can't hear you jake i can't hear you jake so i always assume they have this like little riff going on but yeah maybe it is rizzo. Hey, it could be it's it's one of those it's one of the most important unsolved mysteries i think we'll of our time is who was john giving the finger the thing to is i don't even think john remembers that he was so oh no way yeah there's not a chance yeah <laughs> yeah no I, I i i don't think so and i mean i think that's that's also the same celebration different interview where he's asked i think it was by kelly cruel at the time mm. um you know what what he was thinking when wade davis was getting those outs and he just goes i don't know i blacked out <laughs> that's, I, like, I that's no an idea. all-timer right there yeah <laughs> So it's it's really just incredible. Like I said, I think in in Cubs lore, twenty seventeen is is pretty often forgotten. Honestly, um, not that it deserves to be, but you know, just obviously with what happened the year before, people just don't really care. What happened the year them. before? I forgot. The Cubs won the World ah, Series in twenty sixteen. That makes sense, Corey. That yeah. makes sense. Okay. So yeah, the implication would be yeah, no that doubt. a year later, people didn't really care. Okay. Um, but. It's a great series. It was a great win and uh, ultimately one of the iconic John Lester moments of all time in, in that interview. So that's how we start our day. Uh, but Brendan, how are you? It's the off season. It's going to be a long off season, Corey. I'm doing yeah. good, though. Uh, read some interesting, you know, postseason quotes from Theo and from a lot of the pitching development guys. And I'm, I'm excited. You get over that like week morning phase i guess once you lose a you know a playoff series or an important game but i'm ready let's get this offseason going we have a lot to talk about the offseason although it appears to be intimidating these do go by fast this is our fourth offseason we always say what are we going to talk about and they, they do go by fast especially just because you mentioned him uh since we last spoke uh, Brendan and I and you, our loyal listeners, Theo did give his annual postmortem. Uh, and I don't think we'll, you know, maybe we'll touch on that a little bit, but I don't really think that there was 
that much surprising there, at least uh, from my perspective. You know, yeah. he, he reiterated that uh, his priority, uh, you know, whether it's for the duration of his contract or beyond that, whatever it is, that his priority is to maintaining and building the success uh, short-term and long-term of the Chicago Cubs. He reiterated that obviously at the moment he is a Chicago Cub and that is where his priorities lie. Uh, and, you know, kind of along the lines that we've heard before, you know, that uh, it, it, it may be time for some change, you know, that the offense uh, did not produce at the level that they wanted, you know, perhaps they have to make some uncomfortable decisions as it relates to different guys in the quote-unquote core, etc., uh, and, you know, just sort of using some of those cliches, adages about change and recognizing that it's time for change and stuff like that. Uh, but, I, you know, other than that, I, I don't really know that there was anything noteworthy in that, um, which I think we've you know, kind of come to expect from Theo. You know, I think sometimes in these postmortems, I know he said things uh, a couple years ago that, you know, Brendan was just not a fan of, uh, and I'm sure he'll talk about that. Uh, but in general, you know, Theo, I think, is is not one to blow too much smoke in these press conferences. I think he kind of tells you what he's thinking and, and the general idea of things. But he's, you know, like any other public-facing figure in a business or especially a sports team, he also doesn't often give you a direct, here's exactly what we're going to do and the motivation for why we're doing it, and he, you can just sort of follow this plan for the off season. So I, at least for me in watching it, it was about as I expected uh, to hear from Theo Epstein, just given the, I think, uncertainty. Not only is it you know similar to past years where we kind of expect change but you don't necessarily know how that's going to happen until the offseason starts, especially in this offseason with the extra questions as it relates to just society, revenues, etc., right? Uh, I was not surprised in what he said or or the substance of his, uh, I believe it was a little over an hour of talking to the media uh, last week. It was pretty much all to be expected. The the only thing that I was looking for was whether he'll even be back, you know? this upcoming year not that there was ever a question of him coming back but there were some reports suggesting you know maybe he and tom will talk about his future and there was a possibility that you know maybe theo will just step away he's back for the next season the tone that he struck the one surprise for me was some some optimism this sounds weird to say but usually these types of pressers for theo Besides 2018, they're not super negative for the most part. They're not super positive. They're more like a state of the union, I guess, you know, if you will. But this one, he's talking about the core and the team control and the uh, volatility of COVID and that influencing projections going forward and how do you weigh that and so on. So Theo kind of made the argument that despite the best players in the team not producing this year, there were a lot of other positives like Ian Happ, like Wilson Contreras' framing. And the fact they do have some stability with team control for some big hitters, Theo is making the argument that they're still in good position, not only to contend for next year, but also in fourth future years when Theo may not even be there, even though he didn't say that. So it really, a lot of it was to be expected, but the one surprise for me was a, a little bit more of a positive twist to it, which is something we haven't seen from Theo, I don't know, what, you know, three seasons or four seasons from now. So all in all, to be expected, though. Yeah, so just want to we read one quote from him, a, a couple quotes from him, and then we'll we'll get into it, because I do think this, the, you know, these quotes kind of go nicely with uh, setting things up for the off season and kind of reviewing where we're at with who's a free agent, who's back next year, and and things like that. And and so a couple quotes from Theo. Uh, one, it certainly is still the case there are no untouchables. Clearly, some change is warranted and necessary. We have not performed up to our expectations offensively, and simply hoping for a better outcome moving forward doesn't seem like a thoughtful approach. Embracing some change, even significant change, is warranted. 
He also went on to say, quote, a one-year deal for a really talented player is a valuable thing. That's to our benefit for what we could do constructing the 2021 team and also to our benefit to the trade market Mm. as we look to make some changes. Mm. So similar to what we've heard him say in past seasons uh, where, you know, he says that the offense wasn't good and we kind of have to change some (laughs) things. The third straight offseason. Yes. And in past offseasons, those changes have been very, very small. Nothing. um, (laughs) unless you're you're considering the addition of Daniel Descalso in one of those off seasons being a a major change I I don't think many of you uh think that though um but I think the interesting note is at the end there and I and I think that's I don't know what's going to happen and I would be lying to you guys if I told you I really had any expectations one way or another as to how this offseason was going to play out. If you told me, you know, if you came from the future and told me 5 months from now that they undergo like a significant overhaul, they make some major trades and sign some guys and the team looks completely different, I'd believe you. If you told me they do next to nothing and kind of get close to just running it back, I'd believe you too. Um, I'd, I'd expect the latter, honestly, more than anything, but I, I really don't know. It, it's, it's a difficult position to be in, but I, I do think his line about the one-year deals is an interesting one and is something that is different than these past off seasons. Uh, and, and I think that what he's hinting at, uh, there, there's obviously many ways to read that, but I think certainly one element of that is obviously the Cubs have several impact players who are only have one year remaining on their contract. Uh, And I think the suggestion is if they're looking to move guys or change things up or shake things up, however you want to phrase that, being able to move guys who are not on big, long, bloated extension contracts and stuff like that, guys who are just one year that changes things and that makes it perhaps easier to maneuver things. It makes it easier to go out and make moves yourself because you know certain guys are coming off the books in a year, etc. So I, I thought it was interesting that he mentioned that, um, A, because he said it, but B, it, it is a difference between this year and some of these past years. It is a little easier to maneuver. It might be harder in this climate just because of you know the teams taking revenue losses we don't even know what the plan for everyone is in terms of fans in 2021 we don't know what society will be like in 2021 frankly uh so it, it's it's harder to predict in that regard but i think his overall point is just when you're only dealing with one year contracts and so any trade you're making is affecting this year and not much else it does make things a little easier and it kind of clears up that path if there is one. You look at Javi Baez, you look at Chris Bryant, they're both going to be free agents after 2021. You can imagine a scenario where you move Javi and you sign a free agent for a one or two year deal, right? Some of these guys may be willing to take a gamble on themselves, perhaps because of the COVID season and some of the uncertainty with getting a longer term contract. So it's it's going to be a wacky off season, I think. This is the one where you really can flip a coin and you have no idea what to expect, I, I think. There, there, there were clear paths the Cubs could go on in the past few off seasons. This one, the only clear direction to me, or one possible clear direction to me, is entertaining trades for Javi Baez and Chris Bryant and shoring up the back end of every rotation. The bullpen seems a little bit more stable. You're going to have Rizzo back. You're going to have presumably Ian Happ back, and Jason Hayward presumably will be back as well, given that contract. So you're looking at really Javi, you're looking at KB, and you're making the decision whether or not to keep them or to trade them either for immediate value back in 2021 or value back in 2021 and plus with the sacrifice not getting that immediate value or that degree of value in 2021 uh, if you only were to trade for someone without prospects. So the way that the, that the salaries are shaping up, just to add more context to this, if we assume that some of these arbitrations increase from 
ten percent to twenty percent, and some of the first-time ARBs are within ranges of years past of similar players. This is all back of the napkin math, but factoring in minor league benefits, factoring in all these like hidden fees that you get on COTS contracts, the Cubs are projected to right now commit a hundred and fifty-ish million dollars for twenty twenty-one. That's significant because the luxury tax, Corey, is set at $210 million. So that means right now, and this is all subject to change, there's a huge range of variance here. Right now, the Cubs are looking at around $60-ish million in wiggle room, You know, probably plus or minus $20 million or so, given arb- arbitration and some other deals. So that's a pretty sizable chunk to deal with in in 2021. The question that complements this discussion is whether or not the Cubs will even inch towards that luxury tax given some financial restrictions that were unforeseen due to COVID, due to the mark due to the marquee scheduling, due to the, you know, the lack of gate revenue. So we don't know what really the Ricketts family is setting their budget at. But the Cubs did go over the luxury tax, presumably again in 2020. So they, they can't go over it again for the third straight year, or they're going to face lofty fees, talking you know, dozens upon dozens of millions of dollars in fees if they were to go over it again in 2021. So long story short there, you have 60-ish million in wiggle room for 2021, and you have decisions to make about Javi, about Chris Bryant, about maybe Wilson Contreras because he does have uh, additional years of team control, maybe even Ian Happ. But really, you're focusing in, at least in my perspective, you're focusing in on immediately trying to figure out what your game plan is with Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and their future. And if I were to guess, one one of them probably, I don't even want to say probably, I just think given what we've seen so far, I would be surprised if both are back. I think one of them, at the very least, you're going to hear in trade rumors throughout the offseason. And if they're both back, I think there's good reason for them to be back. But my money is one of them will be gone. There is the possibility, at the very least, for significant change. And there's a lot of questions to answer as to how they'd get there or, or whether they would do that. There's questions as to whether they should do that, right? There, there's not a lot of clear answers uh, in in this regard. But I, I think it's probably a good idea to at least open yourself up to the expectation that there might be some significant change with this team. There's a lot of ways that they can go with this, uh, and we'll just have to see what they end up deciding to do. Um, you know, and, and a lot of these issues that we've talked about over the last couple years kind of coming to a head here, right? Like this is going to be the last season with some of these guys. If you don't extend them, if you don't trade them, whatever. So you do have to kind of pick a lane, uh, on some of those. You can obviously do nothing, run it back and let everybody go to free agency and just sort of see what happens. I don't, think that exactly is what's going to happen. Uh, that's but I risky. wouldn't be surprised if that does happen, though, Corey, because you can offer a qualifying contract after 2021 and get that right. traffic compensation. So I, I, I think that is more realistic than people might think. Again, I don't, I, I wouldn't bet on that happening, but I think it is a realistic possibility that might be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I think I think anything is is on the table, and and it, it's it's going to come with some hard questions for Theo Epstein and the front office, um, and you know a lot of that is sort of big picture. What is the future that you see for this team? Who is the face of this team in a couple of years? Who are you most intent on? keeping in a Cubs uniform beyond 2021? Who are you okay not being in a Cubs uniform, if that's any of these guys, you know? So I I think that you're going to have to answer those questions, uh, and they're going to have to do them soon. So that is what we are going to try to set the table for. Um, One thing I I would note, uh, today I think we're going to look at the pitchers. We're going to just, again, sort of take a look at how the guys did in 2020, 
let you guys know who's not going to be here in 2021. That way we kind of just have a good visual of, okay, here's the status of the pitching staff, and you know, then eventually we can look at who's available, who are they looking at, et cetera, et cetera, and then we'll do the offense in a separate episode. Um, but I, I think, you know, a, a lot of this, we have not heard anything, you know, I know there's, there's all sorts of different strategies and, and paths that people want to take, uh, with this team, you know, and, and I've heard from a lot of people that want to blow the whole thing up and, you know, get as crazy as you can this off season. I've heard from a lot of people that don't really get that idea and they are totally fine, you know, patching a few holes, running it back. And, you know, the team just won the division and let's just keep going. Right. So I don't know which direction they're going to go. I will say though, we have not heard any particular language. I think if you're holding out, uh, holding out or fearful of, or expecting whatever, you know, word you fall into some sort of like a actual rebuild, I I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, there's been no language to suggest that anything like that is coming. I don't think it's necessary. That would be out of nowhere, um, at least from where I'm sitting. So if if you're like sitting here waiting for them to trade everybody off and the payroll to be $100 million and we're going to lose 100 games, I don't think that's going to happen. So I just want to get that out of the way. Like there are a lot of paths forward for this team and and technically that's one of them, but I that's not going to happen. There, there's just nothing out there that suggests uh, that's a direction that this team is entertaining at the moment. Um, and I would also point out, as I've said a lot, this division sucks. So really, in my mind, uh, again, a lot of ways to get there, but you should be trying to put a, as competitive a team as you can out for 2020. Obviously, you have a lot of long-term decisions. That's that's the key to this offseason is 2021 and beyond, right? And how are you sort of weighing each of those things? And obviously, there's strategies that take care of 2021 and also beyond. But that's, I think, where the, the biggest decisions have to be made, um, is are you doing things that are keeping you competitive for next year, and are you doing things that are keeping you competitive for a long time and setting up sort of uh, another 2015-2016-esque run where you're able to bring up some of those younger guys, guys like Brendan Davis, et cetera, into an already existing you know, successful system and try to convert it into a World Series championship. Uh, but again long-winded way of saying I, they're not going to enter a rebuild. So I, I wouldn't really worry about that. So let's take a look at the pitchers. And the way that I look at this, Brendan, is I think the lead, leads, uh, plural, of this conversation are who is leaving or who is at least a free agent and, and not someone who is guaranteed to be in the plans right? Um, And those folks are Jose Quintana, Tyler Chatwood, Jeremy Jeffress, and John Lester. I think those are the big names, at least from the team in 2020, that are not guaranteed to be a part of this group next year. The Cubs could, uh, you know, they, they have ways to go about things with John Lester, and I think he's, you know, uh, perhaps the, we'll talk about, as I said, we'll talk about John <laughs> when we have to talk about John. But just in terms of guys who are not guaranteed to be under contract, I think those are the big names. And I think that those are obviously the immediate absences that you have to address. You're obviously going to have spots in your rotation to fill. And while Jeffress, you know, sort of came back down to earth as the 2020 season neared its finish, he played a huge role for this bullpen, uh, especially while Craig Kimbrell was getting himself back up to where he wanted to be. Jeffress was your guy, uh, and they could certainly re-sign him. You know, we'll see how that goes. But those are the holes that you're going to have to fix. And I think that is balanced with 
What do you envision uh, next year in particular for guys like Alec Mills, who obviously stepped up and played a big role in 2020, and someone like Adbert Alzali, who stepped up toward the end of 2020 there, showed you a lot of the work that he had done over those few weeks in the pitching lab with this new pitching infrastructure, uh, developed a sort of completely different repertoire that he was showing, and, and flashed some really great signs. So I think those are the things that really set the table for this pitching staff and the discussion as to what it looks like in 2021. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates that you will see fast. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Try Indeed out with, again, a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Terms and conditions apply offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's blue wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. There were a lot of positives in, in that bullpen that, that you and I talked throughout the 2020 season. And a lot of those positives were due to the revamping of that infrastructure, which we highlighted a lot after last offseason. And we got names to the accomplishments of some of these guys and the athletic wrote about this Sahadev Sharma wrote about this great work from Sahadev in which he highlighted a lot of the guys underneath Craig Breslow who worked specifically with Braylon Marquez and if they're working with Braylon and of course they're working with everyone else especially those who are in South Bend's camp so I want to just list a few names to give context to kind of how deep this new infrastructure is. So you have Craig Breslow, then you have uh, an assistant analyst named Ryan Otero, then you have coordinators underneath Breslow, including Casey Jacobson, who used to be with Driveline Baseball, by the way. Then you have other uh, coordinators, including Carlos Chantrez, Mike Mason, and then you have biomechanist John DeWitt, R&D analyst Brian Cole, and they have coordinators as well, in addition to uh, South Bend staff members who may be reassigned next year, James Ogden and Ron Valone. It's a lot of names, Corey. It's a lot of names because when we are talking about a potential front office transition after 2020 or 2021, it's hard for me to reconcile moving on to a completely different path while we haven't seen what these guys can do in this new pitching infrastructure and the way baseball is working now like these these guys these positions did not exist in 2016 when the Cubs won the World Series so if you revamp a front office I'm assuming I don't know if it's true or not but I'm assuming you are also revamping these exact infrastructures and so there's a there could be a lot of turnover if the Cubs and, and the Ricketts do intend to move on from different people who are not in Theo's camp. That being said, what 
they were able to do, what this pitching infrastructure was able to do with the bullpen, and hearing how they worked with Braylon Marquez should give everyone confidence, should give a lot of people optimism about the pitching in the future. And despite losing Jeremy Jeffress to free agency, he's kind of a model in that you can identify someone who has good stuff, who may not be throwing those particular pitches that make up that good stuff, and maximize it out in a one-year deal. And that, that is what Jeffress presented. He came in, the Cubs changed his entire repertoire pretty dramatically, where he was throwing just you know a fastball half the time. All of a sudden, he cut that down to once every five pitches, and he was, a throwing, he was throwing a splitter once every three pitches. He spiked his splitter usage almost threefold. So I think the Cubs can do that again in 2021. Who will be the next Jeffress? I, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows at this point. But you also have guys in Iowa, in AA, you're going to have a, a complete, hopefully a complete minor league schedule next year. So you're going to increase the likelihood of having more guys step up and contribute. And so, again, what did they do with Braylon Marquez that, that got my attention and that, and that should get your attention as well? So Braylon goes to South Bend and he develops a new sinker. He develops a new two-seamer sinker, whatever you want to call it. And they did this with Braylon just talking with their biomechanist and talking with uh, South Bend staff members and seeing what works well communication-wise with Braylon Marquez. And Breslow was describing this sinker or two-seamer as a, quote, very, very good pitch that complements his changeup. They thought the sinker was such a good pitch that it had the probability of being an above-average pitch with an accelerated development timeline so that he can use that two-seamer. That's what you want to hear. You want to hear these young guys develop new pitches or optimize current pitches to accelerate their timeline. Now, Braylon did not throw those two-seamers this season, but one of his teammates in South Bend, whatever you want to call it in South Bend, Adbert Alzali, he did throw that new two-seamer, that new sinker we were talking about. And Alzali also used his curveball. He added a new slider. He has a changeup. So Alzali, all of a sudden in one year, turned from a two-pitch guy, basically, to a five-pitch guy. Braylon Marquez may turn from a two-pitch guy to a three, four, five-pitch guy as well because of those guys I mentioned, like Casey Jacobson and Chantress and Mason and DeWitt and Breslow. That is the infrastructure we're talking about. So going into 2021, I'm narrowing my mind down on James Norwood, on Tyson Miller, on Colin Ray, on a healthy Brad Week, on Braylon Marquez. And you can see how the bullpen can shape up and perhaps even the back end of their rotation with Tyson Miller or getting Alec Mills to the next step and continuing to have Adbert Alzali develop or even having Colin Ray, who I didn't know, despite his age, he's under team control for three more years. I'm cautiously optimistic. It's not it's not a slam dunk, right? Trying to project the pitching. But seeing what they were able to do, this infrastructure in a shortened season without the tools they're normally equipped with, it has to give you some optimism, Corey, I think. And we saw a little bit of the fruits bared from those efforts with Alzali and, and Jason Adam, for example. But I'm I'm excited to see what they can do next year. And the, all of a sudden, we, weirdly enough, the center focus on this pitching is still there, but it's kind of taking a little bit of a step back. I think because we're more comfortable with, and maybe this is just a projection, we're more comfortable with some of these you know, fringe big leaguers developing and contributing because we just saw them do that. And now maybe some of the focus is geared back towards the positional player unit, which is justifiable, but it speaks volume to what in one year Breslow and his staff did. And it speaks volume, I think, to the discussion of maybe a new front office after 2021 that that we will have a discussion, maybe not this offseason, but next offseason. Because if you, if you transition this out, you know, you're not giving these guys their fair chance. And so that's that's where I'm focusing in on is how do we get these guys to the next step? And I think we have finally some precedence for these guys doing that, Corey. 
certainly the Cubs are not at the forefront of, you know, this sort of new pitching revolution. Um, but the steps that they've made and, and the infrastructure that they've built, I think, is is getting them up to speed, right? Uh, and I think you have to be encouraged with some of the progress that we saw from some of these guys. And I think even without knowing what their exact plan is in the offseason, you know, I think knowing that you're going to come back with Kyle Hendricks and you Darvish, who had great years in 2020, and are top of the line, front line starters. So you know you're starting things off with two guys that fit that bill, right? Uh, which is a great place to start. Uh, and then, you know, knowing that you're going to have Al Zalai in the mix, Mills in the mix, some of the other names that you mentioned uh, for rotation spots, and then also the way that we saw some of those guys step up and, you know, develop into bullpen arms. And you have a lot of them on, you know, very friendly contracts uh, for a while here. So would I feel comfortable if they spent no effort, you know, improving the pitching? No, right? Like, I I think you need uh, another, I think, at least middle of the rotation starter to feel comfortable uh, about things. Um, obviously, I love another top end starter, but I don't see that happening, uh, just money wise. Um, but you're comfortable with Darvish and Hendricks being your yeah. That's why I said middle, punch. yeah, yeah. So, and you know, I I think that especially with the progress that Kimbrel was able to make, some of the the efforts we saw from, uh, like you said, guys like Jason Adam. Obviously, you're hoping Rowan Wick comes back and is healthy and is back to his normal self, uh, and you know, a lot of the other guys that we saw. I, you know, you want to see improvements made. I, I would not feel great if this is just, you know, they ran it back uh, just minus Lester and, and Quintana and Chatwood, basically. I doubt they but do. I think, right, but I think that that's a good place to start. I, I don't think you're, you're, you're dealing with a, a complete mess that you have to uh, clean up, right? I think, I think that's a, a really good place to start, and I think if you can be mindful, even if you're working with a a, a reserved budget. I, I think that there you have the pieces in place that if you can be mindful and thoughtful about the moves that you're making and, and where you're spending that money, I, I think that the pitching staff has as is in a good place, especially if you can hope for more guys to be taking steps like we saw uh, from some of these guys. And and whether it's it's comparable to someone like Jeffress or Kimbrell in in a sense, you know, guys who have struggled relative to their career performance trying to kind of rekindle that or rewire that to to get back to a better place uh, or whether it's you know more in line with taking unknown guys and elevating them to you know something like Rowan Wick right like you get him from another team and you elevate him to one of your top bullpen options I think we have confidence now that this infrastructure and this group can accomplish those things. So I think the base that they have going into next year is a solid one. And, you know, with with some mindful additions, I think it can be a really good one. Um, again, I, I, I think the, the key is you'd like some more, I think, uh, maybe trustworthy and, and maybe pedigree-driven, you know, high-leverage relievers. I think you can never really have too many of those. Um, like your Steve Cjax, you know, someone someone that you're just confident in eating innings, you know. Well, Steve Cjax prior to Joe Madden using him <laughs> well, every <yeah. laughs> every day, uh, yes. But yeah, like you know, I, I think especially when Wick went down, uh, you know, you just sort of saw that kind of concern with like, okay, like you know, we've seen progress with some of these guys, we trust some of these guys, but you really like some more like established high leverage guys here than, you know, hoping for some of these guys to elevate themselves. So I think that would be a a target area. And then again, you know, someone that can slot in uh, as, as that number three starter, I think you'd be, be looking at trying to Mm -hmm. fill that void. And, you know, then I think you'd be pretty comfortable with the options that you have uh, or more options that you add going into spring training, competing for those spots, or, you know, being able to mix and match them throughout the year, like we've seen them do, uh, at various times. So that, that would be kind of how I view that. Um, I would be 
obviously very open to them negotiating something with John Lester. Uh, I think that, you know, we've we've heard that that possibility is out there. We've heard that Theo's open to it. We've heard John is open to it. Uh, I want to be on record as saying I am open to it, uh, as my opinion is obviously very important on things like this. It is. Um, but aside from really wanting John to get a proper send-off at Wrigley Field with fans, uh, I I think that A, his, and, and Theo alluded to this as he's talked about John, uh, I think it was in his press conference, but if not, it was over the past couple weeks anyway, um, that, you know, when they signed him, it was a lot for John the person as it was John on the field. And I, I do think that that presence and John's attitude is an important one. Uh, And if he were going to go somewhere else or retire, I don't know what John's plans are, there would be a void in that regard. And, you know, obviously David Ross is in, you know, kind of of that cloth and so is Mike Napoli, but those guys aren't on the team. Uh, And so I do think that there's value in in having those guys on the team. And I think as long as you can find a a good middle ground in terms of what that contract number is uh, relative to, you know, the money that you have and the other needs that you need to address, I think if you can be in a position where you're not counting on John to do anything other than be your fifth starter, I have, I think that's cool. That's cool by me, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, look, I'm biased. If if some of you guys don't feel that way, that's okay, right? Um, but I think if you're in a position to where you're counting on him for a realistic contribution, which as we've addressed on this show a lot is often not the case uh, with guys like John. I mean, even I think like last year or two years ago, you had people when he would have a blow-up start saying that he's not the ace of the team, which he's not. He hasn't been for years. Uh, so, you know, whether people are able to do that in terms of realistic expectations, I don't know. But I'm into it. I, I, I would be—you guys already know that, but, like, I just want to get that out there. I, I think that they should do that. I think his presence in this clubhouse, what he means to this team, and his ability to still give you— quality starts and, and eat some of those innings and uh, be a successful pitcher is is still there. And if you were counting on him to be your five and just go out there and do his thing and, and you know, you're not uh, putting the weight of the rotation on his shoulders, I think that that's something that they should explore. But we'll see how that all plays out. There might be an added benefit of bringing John back in that compared to the other free agents, you, you know what John has. You know how the coaches work with him. You know how Tommy Hadovy works with him. You know how some of the new data they have on him that might be proprietary uh, evaluates him. So I think there are advantages of at least negotiating something and see where both sides are at, especially compared to bringing in a new one from outside the organization. But just to give a, a rough list of potential starting pitcher free agents there's a lot out there that that makes sense you know nothing ace worthy but guys who could be the middle of the rotation to back end of the rotation fillers as we've seen with john lackey over the years or jason hamill over the years and Corey, i've been talking about this guy well before you and I started podcasting. I know who it is. Do you? Okay. So Ke- Kevin Gossman, is that who it is? Yes, of yeah. course. You didn't even give me a chance to guess. Well, I'm, you know, I just wanted, I got too excited seeing his name, Corey, on this I list. think the audience would have, you know, really felt that <laughs> moment if I got it right. But Gossman uh, we'll is never a, know. He is a free agent. He's 30 years old only, which is insane to me to even think about. So he's a free agent. But you also have guys that are interesting besides Gossman. You have Mike Miner, who's a free agent. You have Matt Moore, who has been up and down throughout the years, but he has good stuff, I think. You have James Paxton, hard-throwing lefty from the Yankees. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, former twin. He was connected with the Cubs for years as well. Rick Porcello, recent Cy Young winner. You have Robbie Ray a recent Cy Young candidate, but he's had a rough two years recently. You have Garrett Richards. You have uh, Marcus Stroman, whom I really liked over the years as well. Masahiro Tanaka, Julio Tehran, Michael Waka, Alex Wood. So you can you can see where I'm coming from, where 
a lot of the guys I just read, they had their issues. They've had their injury issues. They've had maybe some expectations be a little bit too high. They couldn't live up to it. But when you're talking about supplementing the middle to back end of your rotation, there's plenty of candidates out there. And we'll see how you know the offseason progresses in the immediate future. And our opinions are going to change as we get more information and as the market develops. But the way that I'm seeing this now, how I initially want this to develop, is giving some greater roles to Alzali and leaving the room open for Marquez to start as soon as next year. So that means you have four slots in the rotation that are at least open. Actually, five if you want to throw in Alec Mills, right? But you want to have some stability, some backup plans if those guys can't produce, if Alec Mills can't produce, or if Marquez needs more time, perhaps in, in, in Tennessee to start the year, or Alzelay Ditto in, in Iowa to keep things going. But I think Alzelay is, he's going to get the, the nod from, you know, day one. But you can see if you sign someone like, you know, Jake Odorizzi, you sign someone like Robbie Ray, who I don't know how the market's going to evaluate him, but he's had two rough years. He's almost a reclamation project at this point. And you can kind of make the same argument to a degree with with Rick Porcello. These guys are probably not going to garner huge contracts, maybe even like a one-year $16 million or two-year $35 million type deal, similar to what Lackey got over the years. And I like that concept. I like having the wiggle room of the $60 million, presumably in luxury tax room, to go out and give your guys backups to the rotation. Give Alzali a backup. Give Alec Mills uh, a complimentary piece. And I think the possibilities are there. And you may be able to even spend a lot of your money on, on shoring up the pitching that way and use some of the other pieces you have, whether it be Javi Baez or some of the other position players, to shore up maybe some higher leverage bullpen arms if they don't want to go out and get uh, you know a higher leverage arm in free agency. I think there's a lot of ways to go about this, but I th- just looking at it now, th- there could be a path forward to be competitive in 2021 while also giving opportunities to have Alzali develop and Marquez develop and Alec Mills to continue to develop. I-, I can see many things being accomplished by this free Asian pool, Corey. I think that you have a renewed trust in the infrastructure and the people who are doing the work behind the scenes and in trying to get these guys at their you know maximum benefit and, and maximum output and I think that's a good place to be uh, and I think especially as you go into 2021 the most important thing is that you have two guys at the top of your rotation who you can go into a season believing we have two Cy Young candidates on this team and in this rotation and I think that's a, a very nice place to be, and it's a very good place to build everything off of. Um, I would also say, you know, it's a good caveat for this entire offseason, not just the pitching staff. Um, a lot of a lot of the the way that we're talking about this is just kind of trying to live in the reality here, right? Like, I don't really know exactly what I think they should do, what I think they're going to do. I don't even know if I have a hope for any of this yet, uh, especially the the Major League Baseball playoffs are not done. We don't really know how some of these decisions are going to shake out, etc. We don't know what a trade market might look like, right? Like, So uh, it, we're just sort of looking at this from the reality of it. A lot of this stuff is possible, whether it happens or not, whether we think it should, I don't really know yet. Uh, we're going to have to see. But uh, again, it, it's it's more so just setting the table for it is possible that we see some some major changes in this team. So we, we sort of have to set the table and kind of give the context for that. But that's, yeah, I mean, kind of where I, I am with the pitching staff. And it'll be interesting to see, just to your point about someone like Braylon Marquez, it's going to be interesting to see how this team goes about some of those decisions uh, going forward. You know, and even someone like Burl Caraway, who was at South Bend and, you know, participating in that uh, off-site satellite group, but 
never ended up being in the actual 2020 plans. And as far as we know, it was never really even considered for that. Um, but each year, and, and we see it a lot in the playoffs uh, from, you know, especially recently teams like the Rays and the Padres and the Dodgers, I mean, guys are getting chances, man. Like teams have, have they you know, they get younger and they get more willing to offer opportunities to guys. I mean, we've seen multiple players make their major league debuts in these playoffs. And I know that this situation is unorthodox and especially with the lack of off days, but you see some of these guys come up and have success and it it does sort of make it intriguing when you're looking at some of these guys. Like, do I expect Burl Caraway to be in the bullpen on opening day next year? No, but you know, who knows, right? Like the game for years, obviously, has shifted younger and younger and and getting guys on the major league roster while they're still under that team control, while they're in their arbitration years and maximizing their value then rather than, you know, waiting until all these guys are are 28 and 30 years old. So that's been the way the game has been going for a long time. But uh, especially in these playoffs with with the just way that this has all laid out, it, it, it really feels like, you know, a lot of these teams are just saying, screw it, right? Like this guy's throwing a hundred, like he's getting guys out. Like, let's just go for it. Who cares if he was in college, you know, six months ago, right? So I don't know what the Cubs plan in that regard was. I know it, you know, kind of felt like a lot of teeth gnashing and uh, hand wringing for them to even let Marquez pitch on that last day of the season in 2020. But it's it's all just to say, uh, you know, the game is is always changing. The game is always going to different places, and that seems to be one area where things are headed. And uh, so, you know, that makes all of this interesting as well. As the Cubs are drafting some of these guys, as, as some of these guys are infiltrating the system, there's really not necessarily a hard and fast rule on what that progression has to look like anymore. So that's something to keep in mind too. We we don't really know exactly what they have in mind for some of these guys and, and what their their sort of like five-year plan, I guess you could say, is with with some of these players. So uh, that's that's just something to keep an eye on too, that, you know, some of these young guys who are in there, we don't really know how quickly they might envision them making an impact and giving them a chance and giving them a chance to earn that spot. We'll have to see. So that's that's just uh, something to keep in mind too. I, I, I do want to uh, at least just address this because I think this is going to be something that folks ask. Uh, I assume you and I are in lockstep on this, Brendan. Uh, but ju- again, just because this is something that's going to come up, I would not really entertain, if I were you, uh, the idea that the Cubs would sign Trevor Bauer who is uh, at the top of that free agent list for pitchers, it's just not going to happen. I definitely don't want it. I hate him uh, with a a very serious level of hatred, and I think Brendan does too, uh, as a person. But it's just not going to happen. So if, if that's something you're holding out hope for, I I can't see it just with the way that the uncertainty is with the financials. Uh, even though he's a guy who claims he's only going to take one year deals, I I just don't see it. I think with the with the talk already of of cutting spending in the first place and how we've seen over the last few years and the uncertainties with 2020 and beyond, just in terms of all of the losses around baseball and especially with the Cubs. I I just can't see how that's a something that they land on and it's it's difficult even if they wanted to to figure out how directing the money that you're going to need to make that happen how you could then address the rest of the needs that you have. So uh, again, I just bring that up because I think that's going to be I I've seen it already, right? Like it's something that's on people's minds. Uh it's something that some people want, some people don't. I just don't think it's really worth spending that much mental energy on because I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if if it's entertained. Um, I don't think it will happen, but I don't think it's not a possibility. As I mean, there's two sides to it. You have one side where Bauer has said, "I want to take one year deals." He he likes the concept of not being tied to one team. Right now, the Cubs are in one year a one year window. Right, so there is some alignment there. 
The other side is his persona, is his ability to connect with coaches and players on the Cubs. I don't know the guy. I've seen some of his videos. I know what he said in, in, in the past. He's he's in his own reality to a degree. I, I don't I don't know the guy, but that's what it comes off as. He's he's in his own reality. As a fan of this team, as as a fan of the Cubs, I I I would have problems connecting to someone like that. I guess I I imagine him and like Rizzo would probably have like I don't I don't know. I don't, we don't know any of these guys, but I I would be surprised that the Cubs would. Putting all their chips on, on Trevor Bauer, I think is a possibility. I think they're they're going to entertain all options. They have brought in guys who Corey, you and I thought were terrible fits for this team from a character yeah. standpoint. They they done it in the year in, in in the past, and the clubhouse is the clubhouse. We have no idea what goes into it, but from the outside looking in, there was minimal conflict. Again, outside looking in, who knows what actually happened. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. Again, if it's up if it's up to me, I, I don't want to root for someone like a Trevor Bauer just because he is in his own reality and he kind of, you know, I guess the right word is objectifies other people in his own, you know, reality. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's not a possibility, Corey. I don't see it. <laughs> uh but perhaps that's just my deep seated hatred of him as a person that is allowing that. But I, I just don't see it. It's it's just tough to see how that that money works, especially assuming there's some sort of bidding war for his services. I I just think the Cubs have uh stuff they have to deal with. And even if you were just running it back and you weren't gonna make significant changes, you know, then you're I I would think at least looking at extensions or trying to figure yeah. out some of that stuff long term. So I just don't see uh, how that fits. There, uh, there's more fans, but, Corey, though, and I'm assuming even those who listen to this podcast, like pe- people want Bauer on this team. And, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, yeah. and um, that's why I brought it up. You know, it's hard. It is hard to differentiate his his goals for you know growing baseball. I think we all we all agree like the baseball needs to change up how it you know, reaches young, younger audiences and it needs to change how they allow players to produce their own content and personalize themselves. And to, to be, to be fair, Bauer is pushing that. Now, the way he goes about doing it, I do not like, and I, I wish more players had similar motives as, as Bauer, like Ian Happ, for example, is a, is a good contrast. Ian Happ, probably recognizes the same issues that Bauer recognizes, but Ian Happ goes about it in a very different way, in a very... uh, Yes, Ian Happ manages not to harass any women online while he's doing it. Well, we shall see, but I I think that kind of sets the table just in a general sense uh, for where this pitching staff is at, and as we head into this offseason. Again, you know, a lot of this conversation is certainly different if we had a clearer picture of what the budget is going to be, what the payroll is going to be, all of that stuff, right? And we just don't have those answers. Uh, So that's kind of going to have to be something where we start reading the tea leaves as some of this stuff starts happening once the playoffs are over and we kind of get an idea of where things are heading. Um, But... I think it's it's fair, at least to me, that the situation the Cubs are in right now from a pitching perspective is a pretty good one. It certainly could be worse. Uh, and again, the, the, the context that I think is very important, like relative to what is going on in the rest of their division, I think that the Cubs have the base of a pitching staff uh, with, you know, some care and and additions and changes and you know uh to to some degree over the course of this offseason I think they can find themselves in a good place and at the very least I see no reason that they can't build themselves a pitching staff that can win this division and uh you know especially if we're back to a 162 game season with a semi-normal playoff format that is the most important thing in the world when you set out at the beginning of the season. And I think that this pitching staff is in a good place uh, to start this off season. And I, I think that there's every reason to believe that they can be in a good place by the time the 
regular season rolls around. So uh, there's a lot of decisions to make, uh, but I think the pitching staff picture is <laughs> a lot clearer than our next episode, which will be the offense. Uh, and I, I think whereas the pitching is sort of just like, okay, this is a really nice base, kind of have to decide either you're going to make no additions or you're going to make some tweaks here and there and kind of bump it up a little bit. The offense isn't all bets are off situation, right? And we'll get into that in our next episode when we talk to you guys next. Uh, But I think that that conversation is very, very different. And it's an interesting thing about sports that, you know, uh, especially in a sport like baseball, where the two units are are very separate and distinct, kind of like football, there is a very different conversation going on on the exact same team. Uh, And we'll see how that goes. It, it, it comes with similar caveats that we don't really know how they're going to pursue that. They could do nothing. They could do everything, right? We don't really know. But the offense is a very different conversation uh, than the pitching, and we will get into that with you next time. So for now, uh, we thank you guys for listening. Uh, as always, you know, look, we know the off season is not the most exciting time. Uh, a lot of these conversations at some point will be things we've discussed before, uh, especially as we're waiting, you know, they, they can't really do very much right now. So we're, we're sort of just waiting for things to kick off in terms of the off season. But we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, as always, our goal and, and how we kind of base this schedule is to put out episodes that are worth listening to and worth spending uh, the hour that we record for you guys to listen to, uh, as opposed to just trying to churn out as many episodes as we can and, and covering stuff that no one cares about or whatever, right? So that's our plan. We'll, we'll talk about the offense next. And as always, if stuff requires it, necessitates it, we will jump on and we will record more. Uh, But for now, that's the plan. We thank you guys for listening. And whether they are playing or whether we are watching other teams in the playoffs and waiting a very, very long several months until the Cubs play again, regardless, we end by saying, go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.